This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. You're just having witnessed the ferocious uh, Warthog come up. Surprised his uh, people who wanted to pet him. Nice little Warthog. So we're here in the uh, Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melton Law Studio, our sponsors for the Melton Law Studio. And they are the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida full service legal uh, firm. Good friends, known Jeffrey Melton since, oh my golly, the early 70s. So we go way back in the community and uh, appreciate everything he does for the community and appreciate him supporting the show. Uh, we also, of course, have our good friends over at Crime Prevention supporting us and securing us uh, with the crime prevention security. And, of course, Style Cuts is the official uh, hair stylist of the, of the, of the Ward Scott Files. I mean, if you're going to get your ears set out, as my father used to say, when go get a haircut, um, well, you, then you go to um, Style Cuts and, and uh, see my good friend David. Ratliff. Tell him uh, I sent you and he'll take care of you. If you need your cl- uh, clothes clean, go to On The Spot. Great friends, great supporters. And and uh, we have been right on the line here. Uh, as they scroll down in front of me, I'll try to mention them, give them a plug. Any kind of restoration work you need done, R&R Construction is a fantastic guy. Lance Longer, a good friend of mine, has helped me out several times in the uh, construction business and has been a firm supporter of us. And a short, of course, Shoot GTR where I go with my friends to practice safe shooting practices. And uh, we uh, enjoy being there. We feel safe. We see. Uh, we feel like we have a, a very uh, sophisticated kind of organization there that protects us and everybody else on the range as we do things, which can be, if you're not careful, dangerous. I mean, after all, we are handling weapons. So um, that's my little blurb so far from my sponsors. And... Um, of course, so we have uh, some people I'm probably leaving out, but also our great, great uh, uh, donors. Now, I'm going to start the show off again by telling you um, uh, that we have been taken down by YouTube for violating their community standards, which uh, basically say anything that you say against the acceptable narrative uh, about the election is considered to be a violation of the community standard. They're not interested in open and free discussion, debate, and controversial point of views or in a sharing of opinions. They are interested only in, uh, it seems, um, um, just protecting uh, the official propaganda out of the official mouth of the official organization, whatever it might be. They don't see it as propaganda, of course, um, but I'm not sure how they see it. But we are now on Rumble, and I am really advocating that all of you support us by simply going to rumble.com. And then when you go there, the quickest way to see us is to 
Ward Scott Files, all one word. Uh, Ward Scott Files, it takes you instantly there. And then follow us and become a follower. And that gets us more uh, creds, of course, with Rumble as we build up our organization. Uh, we become uh, quicker to be seen on the, when you search. So that's my understanding of it. Um, that's uh, very uh, much ask you to do that, if you would, please. And uh, uh, that can help us out. The, um, the, the day-to-day in, in this community around here is um, really has been in the past something that when I used to live in the city of Gainesville, I enjoyed very much. And when I was younger, I'd participate in the Gator Gallup. And, and once upon a time, I was actually in the Gator Growl itself in the glorious days of Gator, Gator Growl when Bob Hope was here and people like that. And um, I was actually in the, the um, uh, actual participation, if you will, the choreography of Gator Growl at one time down on Florida Field during the festivities. So I've had a long experience with the university and Gator Growl. Uh, Gator Growl has now moved, well, for a while it moved to one of the um, outside kind of gathering grounds on the university. But now this year, I understand it will be in the basketball arena. And that basketball arena, I think, holds uh, shy of 10, used to hold 10,000, holds fewer now because they put the um, a uh high roller restaurant in it. So it's probably at more like eight, uh, but they may put them down on the floor. I don't know. The floor is sacrosanct. So, uh, yeah, Ray, I was in that one, the 1983 Gator Growl. So um, thank you for reminding me that I couldn't remember what year it was. It was Bob Hope. Bob Hope and I actually chatted briefly backstage, if you will. And uh, he was a devilish kind of guy. I really liked him. So, uh, yeah, I did now get, get to beat uh, Bob Hope briefly. I actually got to spend quite a little bit of time with Loretta Lynn, as I mentioned, when she came here one time, went backstage with her and her husband, Mooney, and had a great just down-home talk. Uh, the first time I ever heard Loretta Lynn, uh, you know, somebody introduced me in, to her and uh, said, listen to this, and it was coal miner's daughter. So I did meet Loretta Lynn, had an opportunity to talk to her quite a little while. Very nice lady, very, very just natural person, no no big ego, no, um, you know, all about me kind of thing. She was just a nice, nice person who enjoyed singing. So um, thank you for that jog down memory lane, Ray. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fond memories. So, you know, we have moved, evidently the university has moved Gator Growl into the basketball facility. Now, um, the, the, um, the Gator Run, the Gator Gallop, which I used to participate in, uh, started, it was about a two-mile run, as I remember, and it started at the uh, track at the University of Florida and went down to uh, 13th, uh, went down to University in Maine. Well, now, because of the speed humps and all this business that's been uh, put into the road on university, and universities had many iterations. I, I remember when we could park parallel park on it, it was a two-lane road, then it became a four-lane road, and now it's become a uh, kind of just, I don't, almost a walkway boulevard. Um, so the route of the Gator Gallop has been changed. It begins at Museum Road, and you chug up a hill, pretty good little hill there, going up by Norman Hall. That's a pretty good chug. And you go from there up to 13th and University and take a right and go down and stop at Bo Diddley, which is right there across from the courthouse. Uh, so uh, that'll be a good little, that'll be a good little jaunt. 
It's a little bit a different route. And one of the things about the route we used to enjoy uh, was it went by all the stores there. And I can remember way back when, when uh, we had a Gator Gallup and I had a friend who rented a room in one of the houses there. In fact, the house that he rented a room in later became a swamp. And so I'm dating myself. This is a, uh, and uh, we, uh, Steve Spurrier and I and a bunch of the guys, we went down and watched the parade from the roof of that house. And, um, you know, this is the college days. So Steve Spurrier, you know now, of course, is a celebrity and he's down at the restaurant and all that. And you try to get your picture taken with him. But uh, back then, Steve and I and some of our buddies, we were just out on the, on the uh, porch there, roof uh, of that house, which later became um, really the, the the swamp, which has now been taken down and relocated. Um, and we watched the parade from on that roof. So we won't be able to do that anymore. Um, that, they have eliminated that as a parade route. It was a wonderful parade route. Uh, children uh, would come with their parents and you'd set up the lawn chairs and you'd sit along the road there and it had bleachers up at the corner of uh, University and 13th. And uh, you could sit in the bleachers and uh, watch the parade. Um, and as I say, you could sit on some of the uh, roofs of some of the facilities along the way. Uh, that was just um, gone passe. It's gone well, gone with the wind. So uh, now we've got this new world of, of Gator Growl. I, I don't think it will ever be like the Gator Growl of my day and uh, the parade of my day. I was in the parade several times. It was um, it was a wonderful experience, you know, open air cars and that kind of thing. And we used to, the most exciting thing that ever came here, and, and most people will agree, was the Florida A and M marching band. I don't know if you probably can't, maybe doesn't even exist anymore. But the Florida A and M marching band was the most fantastic band. College band you could see in America. I mean, was it not only the music sound uh, fantastic, but the marching precision? And having gone to military school, I know what went into being precise in marching uh, the way those band members were in the Florida A&M marching band. Uh, a good friend of mine at one time was the drum major for that. And um, a black fellow who went to Florida A&M, he was a drum major. So uh, everybody, when they could get the Florida A&M marching band, they couldn't always get them. But when they could get them to come to the parade, I'm telling you, everybody waited on that, that band to come marching by. I don't know where it is now. I haven't followed it. I don't know if it's still there. It still does the same thing it did then, which was this high-stepping, uh, really precise, uh, fantastic, energized band with great music. Um, Characteristics of them, I don't know, maybe it went the way of the whole race thing, and that's which is unfortunate and sad, but I don't want to go there because I don't know for sure that it did. So in the local world, that is the big deal going on. And we've got great weather. And most of the time, we've been pretty fortunate with the uh, parade on homecoming to have great weather. I don't know about the floats. I haven't been around the sorority fraternity world lately. I guess they have prepared the floats. Uh, those people used to work, you know, feverishly through the night and day to prepare these floats. And some of them are really something to see. And hopefully they'll still have those in the parade. The other thing that's in the news here at the university is, of course, um, they're trying to find a new president. I'm going to comment a little bit on 
what's going on in the university world and uh, try to, because I've been in, a, that's been my world for all my life practically is in the, the world of, uh, of, uh, of, of professorship and teaching and uh, college curriculum and all that. And I graduated from the University of Florida with a couple of degrees. So um, it's, it's, it's um, where we're, uh, home is where the hearth is, I guess. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's a little different from the days when I went because in the days when I went to the university, you know, being at land-grant university, uh, the guys who graduated from the Florida high schools could pretty much get into the university with a gentleman's C. Um, there wasn't this high kaflutin um, push to be in competition with MIT or Harvard or something like that. It was just less educated the state's young people to go out and become uh, useful to the state. And it was kind of viewed that way. And the backbone of the university was the agricultural component, IFAS, the Institute of Food and Agricultural Science. And because the state was tremendously agricultural, it has orange groves and cattle and all that, and open ranges in the south, uh, when I was in St. Cloud, we had open ranges all the way to Yeehaw Junction. Um, so uh, from from Kissimmee area, and we had the big cattle roundup and the Silver Spurs Rodeo. You know, that's all that's all gone to urbanization. Um, I, I, you know, I, I lament it. I, I miss it. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not into it. But, you know, what can I do about it? I mean, this is the way it works. And so we've changed the university as well. You know, it's no longer, it used to be that the presidents almost automatically matriculated out of the Institute of Food and Agricultural Science. J. Wayne Wrights, people like this. Uh, even O'Connell came from the law school here. So uh, <clears throat> it was not this big push to go get some superstar from outside the region to elevate the quote unquote standing, if you will, or the rating of the university. The purpose of the university was to educate the state's youth. And then the youth reciprocated with a great alumni loyalty and became uh, and members of boosters and members of this and that and gave back. Well, now this is a totally different kind of objective of this university. And I can tell you why it happened. You remember, I was the Senate president of Santa Fe College. And not only was I the Senate president of that college, I was the Senate president of the Senate presidents of the state of Florida in the community college system. So I was, and it is amazing that those Senate presidents, and I'm talking about Miami Day, I'm talking about St. Pete, I'm talking about Orlando, elected me to be the president of their organization called the Community College Faculty Coalition. And they were Senate presidents from their own institutions and made me their president of their presidencies. So I had a lot of influence. I worked with Senator Graham on Amendment 11. That's a long, detailed story in and of itself. Um, and, the, and the concern was that as the university urban centers and elsewhere in the state got bigger, they would have more legislative clout in Tallahassee. And the University of Florida, which was the flagship, quote unquote, university uh, in the state, would wane in influence in Tallahassee because we've only got a couple of guys, you know, 
based upon population. We don't have that many. You go down to Tampa, you go down to Orlando, you go down to Miami, you've got a tremendous number of legislative influences. You're outnumbered because of population. So you have more voice in Tallahassee. So therein lay the rub because the emphasis shifted from taking care of the kids from Florida, because after all, I think the last time I counted, there were 10, 11, 12, I lost toes. You're trying, counting all the universities in the state. And then, of course, the community colleges are now, are now colleges. Santa Fe is now a college. So this is to handle the burgeoning population of the state and more and more people coming to it. And so you've got to be able to accommodate it. But how do you determine survival if the university, you're the University of Florida and you have only a little bit of legislative clout? You have got to establish yourself as something other than the University of Central Florida, the University of South Florida, um, the, the Florida Atlantic, um, even, even FSU. Um, you've got to establish yourself somehow and so the decision uh, was made to start competing not with the universities in the state of Florida because they would never win that competition. They don't have, in spite of being the oldest, they don't have the kind of legislative clout because of the population being heavy from Orlando down. So it, the decision was made to start competing on the national level. Now, Amendment 11 was supposed to replace the Board of Regents, with, which uh, Jeff Bush did away with, with the Board of Governors, to kind of make sure that the University of Florida didn't get forgotten in the money distribution. The money is uh, gathered by the legislature, but the Board of Governors, the theory is, and it's, an, it's, a, it's a constitutional amendment, um, would be that the Board of Governors would help distribute it fairly. Well, to back that up, that uncertainty up, the university decided to compete nationally and start this push no longer to accommodate the local kids necessarily with the gentleman's C, but to accommodate only the best and the brightest so that they could then compete with federal money Right. And here comes the feds into the university system, federal money uh, to compete, not necessarily, although it's advertised as such, not necessarily with Harvard and Yale, because the University of Florida endowment will never, ever, ever be equal to those institutions. Really what they're saying they don't try to compete with Harvard and Yale. They are really trying to distinguish themselves from the University of Central Florida, the University of South Florida, um, Florida, uh, you know, you go on and on. That is really what it is about. So when you read these um, descriptions that the university is trying to be, uh, this august thing has this enormous and he wasn't got a computer engineer for this last Fox, this last president. He wasn't from around here. You know, that's another thing they stopped doing. They stopped getting presidents from around here. Because they thought, well, those guys are just local yokels. 
They don't have any clout in the legislature. Uh, we've got to get somebody with a huge national reputation in here to impress uh, the legislature. And our president's got to be, uh, you know, a bigger superstar than your president so that at least we can have some kind of leveling of the playing field here when it comes to getting money, when it comes to getting the money and grants and such. So you will see that this latest guy uh, that uh, made the papers today, who's the only selection, is a kind of interesting cat, okay? He is a Republican, but he is accused by Trump of being a rhino because he was one of the six or seven Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. That ain't too cool, is it? I mean, it is and it isn't. Because if you go look at his resume, he's pro-life. He's really conservative. He's pro-Second Amendment. He's pretty different from the faculty at the University of Florida. And the faculty Senate president, whom I know, is already, and I'm all, I've known those guys when I was the Senate president, they are already beefing about the fact that this guy wasn't vetted, that this, that one another, that there's no transparency. Uh, they're always going to have that complaint and nobody's going to listen to it because nobody cares what the faculty thinks about who the president is. What they want is a president that the nation of money, the part of national money cares about. And, they, and the faculty ain't got no money unless somebody else gives it to them and distributes it to them. So the faculty senate is a toothless tiger. It doesn't, and nobody really on the board cares what they think. The board of, uh, of regents right now is made up of conservative business people for the most part. And that's because these governors appoint all these board members. When Jeb Bush became a governor of the state of Florida, the previous governor had been Childs, if I recall correctly. All of the board of trustees in the state of Florida, the community college system with which I was very familiar, uh, had been Democrat appointees. There are exceptions here and there. When Jeb Bush became governor, he fired, I think it was 169, all 169 trustees of community colleges and replaced them with Republicans. That's the, the governor of, they're kind of little plums, you know. You look at the board of trustees, uh, they don't know anything. Uh, I, I know the board here at Santa Fe, bless their hearts, they don't know anything. They don't know a darn thing about what goes on in that institution. But if a really good president makes those just like a really good city manager makes his commission look good, or county manager makes his commission look good, a really good president makes his board look good and never embarrasses them and makes it look as if they did it. So that's one of the arts. And I was on the selection committee of college presidents. So I knew what kind of gifts they had to have. So that is one of the biggies is that these guys will be put in there by whatever governor's in office. If Chris were to become governor, he would fire all the Republican trustees and he would appoint Democrat trustees. And you'd see the whole tenor and tone of that which was approved or sanctioned or changed all the way down the food chain. So right now you have a Republican governor and a strong Republican governor 
you have a strong University of Florida board chair, and you have a pretty conservative outfit there that is really selected, from all I can tell, a guy who, for the most part, is a Republican with the exception of a couple of, of issues, and that's Trump. And, uh, and, and then the dangerous thing here, which I'm going to get into in a minute, probably after the break, is the hidden race card in all this. And I want to elaborate on that so you're not blindsided, that you're not out there not understanding what's going on. Now, you have to understand, I know a lot about this. Not only a Senate president, but a president of the Senate presidents in the entire state of Florida. Quite an interesting job. And the only advisor from the colleges to Senator Graham's Amendment 11 committee. He used to call me Mr. Community College. And I have in the Amendment 11 a, a little uh, 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 agreement that Senator Graham put in and I'll, 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 in, in the amendment. And I'll, I'll share it with you right now. Senator Graham wanted me to deliver the support from the community colleges for the four-year institutions in order to try to get Amendment 11 passed. And I went to him and I said, Senator Graham, and Senator Graham was very powerful at the time. He was the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And he used to be governor of the state of Florida. He's a nice guy. And uh, I went to him. I said, Senator Graham, um, I don't think I can help you unless you give me something to give to the community colleges. Because the community colleges think you, for your institutions, have been arrogant with them and condescending and look down at them as inferior. I said, Senator Graham, what do you, here's what I suggest you give me. I suggest that you put in Amendment 11 that no four-year institution can ever turn down accepting a community college student who's graduated with an AA from the community college system provided that that institution has the program that that student wants. Aha, he says, Ward, I'll do it. That's in Amendment 11. I got into Amendment 11 in a constitutional guarantee that if you graduate from a Florida community college, a four-year institution must take you, provided it has a program of study you're interested in. That's in the Constitution. I went back to the Senate presidents of the state of Florida. We held a meeting. And I said, this is what I have to offer you, gentlemen and ladies. You go back to your constituents and see if they buy into it. They bought into it. And so I went back to Senator Graham. And I said, Senator Graham, I am delivering you this state community college system in support of your Amendment 11 to protect the University of Florida. There you are, my friends. You heard this story firsthand right here from the horse's mouth. You now know. And by the way, when Senator Graham came to the University of Florida to advocate for this, he asked me if I could produce the community leaders. I said, I'll do my best, Senator. I, on the, on the, at the University of J1, at the, at the Wrights Auditorium, at the Colonnade, was incredible. I produced every single leader in any position, political leader, in this 
County was on the colonnade steps for Senator Graham, and I introduced him. So at one point, I was traveling among uh, Mount Olympus with the gods, but I was traveling on behalf of the students, just the students. It was always what I was advocating for. I was not advocating for my reputation. I was not advocating for glory and gain. I was not advocating to be on some board that somebody could say, I could say I was on yet another board, another board. Uh, you, know, you know, a lot of these boards are not, you know, these token boards. You know, the guys that sit on there, they get a reputation. They don't, you know, they're just token board members. You know, do they do anything? You know, this was one that really got something done. And uh, I'm proud to tell that story. So when I come back, I'm going to give you the installment of where I think the university system is right now. And you're going to hear it from me. And nobody, I challenge you to find anybody who knows it any better than I know it. I worked at those days with a fellow who's no longer here named Richard Briggs, who was the president of the faculty senate. I worked closely with him. And Richard Briggs, by the way, invented the MRI. So um, be back in a moment. I'm telling you a story. I didn't plan on telling this story, but it is the story I'll tell this time, this time alone. Be right back on the Word Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. 
Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Back to the Ward Scott Files. Remember, this is the chat line is open. If you want to ask any questions about anything I said or make any comments, um, uh, the chat line is going to be listed in the chat uh, room here in a minute. I'm looking at it. Of course, this is the weather brought to you by our good friends, Wendell Lewis at Lewis Oil. Been in the business since 1962. Um, the regular weather for you was pretty fair here where we are. Uh, we've got a opened up today with uh, about a 59 uh, degree morning. Um, but the point I'm really interested in today about the weather is, uh, and you know, I like to bring the weather to you in a little different approach, is I got to researching flood insurance because I have friends who are in the flood insurance business. And what is the story on flood insurance? As you know, the whole state of Florida is in a crisis now in regards to insurance. Insurance companies are pulling out, using a ploy, uh, get your roof fixed or we'll drop you, uh, that type of thing. And uh, the flood insurance comes along. And what's the story on it? Basically, what we had when this storm hit was only a small number of residences in the hardest hit, um, that arrow moving around. I see it, my man, Jason. So um, only a small number of residents in the uh, of Florida's hardest hit inland country counties were covered by flood insurance. This is an analysis by the Wall Street Journal. Came out last Monday. Uh, over 50% in just one of the affected counties, uh, the percentage of protected homes is higher in coastal areas, but it's still just over 50%. So just about half of the homes in the flooded areas in Florida uh, had flood insurance. And one of the reasons why people don't is the probability of having to use it uh, just opposed to the expense and inflation of having to buy it. Um, probably, therefore, what's going to happen in these hard-hit areas of Florida is it's going to depend upon federal disaster assistance in the form of grants and loans to begin to repair what's happened because standard homeowners insurance is not going to do it. And most, at least half of the people, uh, didn't have flood insurance because they couldn't afford it. There were 15 inches of rain that fell at the Sanford Orlando International Airport in Seminole, and that was 50% higher than the previous record of 10 inches in 24 hours. And you had to go all the way back to 1992 to get that. Now, about 97%, and this storm did go right through Seminole County and up through Orlando, about 97% of the residences in Seminole County and 98% in Orange County uh, did not have flood insurance. Um, when EM's landfall was outside Fort Myers and Lee County, uh, only 28% of the housing units in that specific point of the landfall are covered 28% by flood insurance. So the portion of homes covered by flood insurance in the state of Florida over the past five years has declined to 15.4% from 17.8% in 2017. And as we say, rising inflation 
and double digit increases in homeowners policies are the uh, reason for this. So I thought that I would put that in my discussion today about the weather, uh, because a lot of people have asked me about flood insurance and who has it, who gets it, and why not. And I think that's the most definitive part I've seen about flood insurance. We got our call in number up. Certainly welcome a chat with any of you. Three, five, two, seven, oh, seven, ninety one, oh, one. We do pay for that chat line. So uh, it is not free. It's one more thing we provide for any of you who might want to chat. Uh, we're talking now about the university college system. And is because we have uh, probably going to get uh, a different president. Uh, this president coming in is a Republican. That is counter to what you have as a faculty. The faculty is primarily Democrat. And it's going to be an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Um, he's somewhat mitigated by the fact he's an anti-Trumper, although when he actually got ready to vote in the Senate, he voted almost exactly for Trump policies. So uh, the real issue here, the, the, the hidden kind of issue, is lies in admissions. And uh, what kind of admissions do you get if you proclaim publicly or do you accept if you proclaim uh, public, publicly that you're only going to compete with the Harvards and the Yales. And there are a couple of places here that we can plug in some uh, questions for you, the audience here to think about and what has been happening in these elite schools. Um, places since the University of Florida keeps wanting to compare itself with Harvard and Yale. Let's take a look at Harvard and Yale and what they've done uh, they have uh, been sued by Asian Americans who say that they're at a disadvantage because these elite schools adopted policies uh, based upon not academic promises uh, by measured by grade point averages, uh, but influenced by the Voting Rights Act, uh, which uh, started talking about, as you've heard me say before, political equality ending for blacks. Um, so what you began to get was uh, what you got in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, for example. There, the achievement-based admissions process at the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology uh, yielded an incoming class composed of 73% Asian students, 18% white, 3% Hispanic and only 1% black in 2020. But George Floyd's murder, if you want to call it a murder, okay, George Floyd's demise, uh, with that, the school caved, that's my editorial comment, its entrance criteria and adopted a holistic review. And this, uh, right away, the results were striking. A holistic review instead of one based on academic standards. Now, you have to understand here that if the university makes admission standards based on academic quality, it's going to have an inherent racial preference, okay? Will they be able to keep the lid on that or will somebody attack it? 
Now, the holistic review process, the black share under the holistic review process made tremendous differences. The class rose to 7% black, 11% Hispanic, uh, 22% white. Asian Americans uh, fell to 54%, whereas they were almost 75%. So there is now a discrimination uh, suit by the Asian Americans against the elite schools that they're being discriminated against because they're too good. They're too good. Now, I've told you this anecdotally at Santa Fe College when I was there, we had a free, what we call a learning lab, a place where you could go, just go and get help on anything you wanted to get help on. Unfortunately, what I'm going to tell you is not something I opined. It's the actual data, okay? Now, we could not keep out, not that we tried, any of the Asian kids, Asian hyphen Americans. They would use that lab, if they could, 24-7, seven days a week. It was free. At the other end of the continuum, I am not making this up, so don't blame the messenger. At the other end of the continuum was the black male. He would not go near that learning lab. And you can speculate on all sorts of reasons. I don't, I'm not going to get into that. That's just the data. We tried everything we could. I was the Senate president then. We tried everything we could. We invented a program called My Brother's Keeper. And we went around and found the black guys that were doing really well. And and tried to, to make sure that they were tutoring or mentoring and being uh, around um, the, 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 the other guys that maybe would listen to them. So this is not something that is just specifically located. It is a cultural thing that's going on. So this case is in the Fourth Appeal Circuit Court right now. Um, it is... Uh, very interesting. The Jason Riley, who is, of course, a very bright guy and happens to be a black guy, has always been against racial preferences. He doesn't believe in racial preferences, and he is one who would have been used under the racial preference thing, except he didn't want it. In effect, what racial preference uh, uh, this whole idea of diversity and thing, what is what this race conscious admissions, he says, is a lot like if the Supreme Court does away with it, affirmative action type race conscious admissions, and it's debating it now, he thinks that the reaction will be much like the, the abortion reaction. People will go raise Cain about it and say, well, we have a right to it. He says it is a, it's a destructive thing to teach young people. You shouldn't teach young people that because you are black, you're therefore, you, you need some special help. Jason Riley's saying that. He wants merits, he wants merit entrance exams. Um, but, uh, the, you know, this is, this is a difficult hill to climb. Um, 
The irony is that the racially biased opinions have affected the Asians and that the uh, race-based affirmative action assumes that there's white supremacy. I, you know, I talked for 40 years. I didn't care what color the person was. I didn't care anything about that. What kind of mind do you have and what kind of attitude do you have about learning? That's all, that's all the thing that matters. I don't know who puts this crap in the conversations, but it's certainly not guys like me, okay? Um, there's plenty of empirical evidence, according to Jason Riley, that the policies have done more harm than good. And uh, I don't know if they can be, he doesn't know if they can be out, done, uh, done away with or not. He likes to point out that in 1960, before affirmative action, there was a significant, steady, strong growth in the black middle class. Um, the, the poverty rate was falling. Uh, the median black household income had doubled. Um, but politics and ideology eroded that. So black students were admitted to schools, according to Jason Riley, with academic credentials far below those of the average student in attendance. And it was unfair to the black student because the racial composition of the institution, the pressure was to make them more racially, you know, the level ground or racially diverse. Well, we'll see how that plays out at the University of Florida. You know, I don't think you're going to see that in the newspaper if there is any such thing as a newspaper anymore. If you've got a guy who is a Republican president who was against, now he's walking a tightrope, he was against Trump because he felt Trump sided too much with a quote unquote white supremacist, which, you know, which I, that makes me really wonder about this guy. But he's got to probably say that because on the other side of his mouth, he's over here pushing his high grades. If he's pushing high grades, he's what? He's going to run into this complaint that, uh, you know, you're favoring people who are, of course, the guy they want to eliminate from this is the Asian. Because, you know, and this little thing I was telling you about the college, we couldn't get the white kids to come to the lab either. I mean, we'd get them come there more than the black kids. The white kids would come if they kind of thought there was something in it for them. The Asian kids came whether it was anything in for them or not. They came and made something in it for them. You know, it's a cultural thing. It's, it goes back to the family. So um, we're going to see how this all works out. Um, See what else Jason Riley says here. Um, applicants to Harvard. Uh, here we go. The, uh, an app applicant to Harvard with typical credentials has a 25% chance of admission if he's Asian. Now, uh, if you're black, the chance of admission climbs to 95%. Okay. You think that's, you think that makes sense? I don't think so. I don't know. You tell me. Open line. I'm waiting for a phone call. I'm going to sit here and have a drink of coffee see if anybody gives me a call. If they don't, I might. Yeah, come on, man. Jody Davis is your big chance. Jody Davis always wants to be on the show. I'm going to call him out. He always wants to be on the show. Uh, I don't know what. You know, he's got a chance right now to call in. Yes, ma'am. He is going to call? Oh, got a call? Okay. Okay, good. Put me through. Hello. 
Nation, Mark, how you doing? Hey, Mark, my golly, what are you doing, man? Is it raining where you are? Are you growing vegetables? I just got through cutting uh, Australian bearded grass, Mark. It, it just drove me crazy. It's taken over the pastures down here, and it took me almost a week to mow them down. Yeah, I, I can see that. My grass is quick growing up here, but, man, the wild onions are about six inches tall all over the yard out there. It looks terrible. Uh, we're cutting broccoli right now. I've got to get some more cabbage in the ground. Uh, still have okra. Uh, tomatoes and stuff are gone. My neighbor was up there this morning, a uh, little after daylight, on a big triple-gang bush hog. He's cutting three pastures up there. He's probably got a hundred head of cattle over there, so uh, well, he's about, about done with hog. that. You talk about bush hogs. Yeah, I, I got to sharpen the blades, and I don't look forward to that. I might just have to put new blades on it. But I got to looking back at this grass. I'm wondering why ain't it cutting better? Well, I'm t- I got to thinking, Nick, I ain't sharpened those blades in a long time, man. <laughs> well, I got I got took a couple of years out of mine, three years to be a matter of fact, and uh, I hadn't sharpened mine. I sharpened them a couple of times. But I've hit big rocks up here on these roads and uh, really did them in. But I went and bought a brand-new set of blades, and that's only a five-foot bush hog, so I can sneak through the woods with it. And uh, it was $124 for that pair of blades. Yes, sir, I hear you. Let me – I don't know if you've been hearing – we switched over to Rumble because YouTube cut us off. And uh, just wanted you to be sure you're aware of that. If you go to rumble.com, and hit follow the show why uh, it helps us out because we get a lot more uh, hits then that way. And we've just been over there two or three days. But it, it was an expense. We had to switch over to it, and uh, we had to do it because I just got sick of YouTube being a censor. Yeah, yeah, I got all that information there, Ward. I might give it a shot on Monday. Uh, these boys are uh, picking the back up here. They've cut all the sorghum and stuff down. They've bailed their last hay, and... Uh, I say they're right now laying in winter wheat where they've already cut, but there's still a lot of soybeans that haven't finished off yet. Kind of late getting planted this year, and then it was dry. So, All other right, than buddy. that, uh, looking forward to next uh, next Tuesday. We've got uh, or Tuesday two weeks. We've got a big Farm Bureau banquet going up here, so I've already got the tickets to that. But I'll let you run, Ward, and I'll Thank be you, on sir. the tractor after the show. Thank you, sir. You know, I love talking to Mark because it's antithetical, just about the opposite of what you talk to with the university. And um, he's in the real world. He's, that's where the food is grown. That's where the weather affects whether you eat or not. It's uh, something that we got woefully few people anymore doing. He's a tremendous supporter of the show. I've uh, known him for years and uh, used to live in East Gainesville and just couldn't take it any longer and got on out while the getting was good. And got himself a little spread up there along in the Virginia area. And um, he's working the land and growing his food. And he's really the renaissance man. He's got all these hookups to ham radio and listens to all the um, shows and everything and stays up and, and is following the political world. And, of course, the political world very much affects the agrarian lifestyle um, because it gets, uh, you know, he just gave you the price what a box blade blade costs uh and those things are uh, 124 bucks for a couple of them and they're not easy to put on you've got to find a way to elevate that box blade and get under there and put them on and um i've done it in my younger day i'm crawling underneath there 
propped up the box, uh, the box bed on concrete blocks, crawled under it and worked on them. And uh, it's just like any other blade. Uh, you know, we change our razor blades out. You got to change those box blades out too, or you'll be doing what I was doing the last few days, cutting, but not cutting all that efficiently and wondering why in the world uh, you don't just bite the bullet and get under there and, and um, take care of those blades. But, uh, you know, that's, that's probably going to be a winter job. Put that baby up on blocks or something and try to work it then. I'm still, I'm still challenging Jody, Jody Davis to call me. He always wants to be on. This is his chance to be on the show. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm calling him out. Call him a good buddy out. Okay. Well, i got to talk a little bit about Reefer Madness. Um, and you can interrupt me, Tammy, if I get a call or you, get, you guys interrupt me. But um, Reefer Madness, our old guy, uh, old Biden, he is, uh, he's pulled another, I think it's just a, a political trick. Because, you know, he was uh, heavily uh, against Reefer uh, when he was in the Senate. Oh, boy, he was a uh, lock him up and throw the key away. And now all of a sudden we're getting close to the election and he's going to decriminalize uh, Reefer Madness, uh, at least the marijuana possession. Uh, and he's going to give mass pardons for anybody convicted of federal crimes uh, for, you know, and most of the convictions for federal crimes kind of is kind of <laughs> This is another distraction. I think there's only about 64. One of these articles has got this. There's only about 6,400 uh, federal guys who are most of the convictions for um, reefer madness are um, at the state level. And they're for, you know, big distribution and and um, being in the business and, and all that. Uh, of course, the reason the feds are... I guess the reason he's getting in, of course, this is just executive. He didn't go to Congress, just like he did with uh, the other stuff that he's decreed by imperial command. You know, one of the things about this Sasi or whatever you say his name, who wants to be the president of Florida, he complained that Trump was going to be an imperial president. Hey, this guy Biden is an imperial president. You know, just decide he's going to decriminalize marijuana. Um, that's not really where the criminal statutes are. They're at the state level. And, you know, but you got to do something like with Colorado. Colorado is decriminalized. I mean, they got cookie shops where you buy it with a reefer in the cookies. And I was in a drugstore out there in, uh, in uh, where was I? Um, Beaver Creek or uh, uh, somewhere out there in Colorado skiing. And I went in there to, uh, you know, this is the odd thing about the, this odd thing about prohibition laws. If you go in a grocery store in Colorado, uh, you get watered down beer. For some reason, in a grocery store, the beer has very little alcohol content. But if you go in a drugstore, and it's actually called a drugstore, you get liquor and you get beer with twice as much, uh, twice as much uh, THC content. So I was standing in the drugstore. Um, and I'd gone around to the drugstore, uh, to get beer that, you know, had some alcohol in it. And I was standing in line, kind of joking around because the sign outside the drugstore said drugstore. And so I said to the proprietor is waiting on me. I said, uh, can you get, uh, drugs here? He said, yeah, you can get marijuana here. 
It's Colorado. And there was a kid standing in line in front of me. And, uh, yeah, you know, he'd come off a mountain, just come off a mountain. He turns to me and says, well, don't get their marijuana. Get it from me. I got much better stuff than they got. You know, come on. And I laugh like crazy. But the point is, that's the state law in Colorado. And federal law, if the kid was across the state lines with the marijuana, he'd violate a federal law and he'd be in the jug. So there's something they got to fix. I guess they're moving towards decriminalizing marijuana. Now, the problem with that, and listen, I go all the way back to the days when it first appeared in Gainesville. There was a local version of it called Gainesville Green. It was a thriving agricultural industry. Believe me, there are a lot of guys who made a lot of money. Then you don't know who they were. And they're pillars of the community now. And they made a lot of money. Okay. They even had a marijuana growers association that contributed to the sheriff's campaign one year, $100,000 in cash in a paper bag on the sheriff's doorsteps and said, here's a, here's a campaign contribution. I mean, that's how much money there was in the illegal reefer madness business business. Uh, that was one level of drugs. And of course you can go right up the level to cocaine and to heroin and now to fentanyl. And you can see that, you know, you're, day, you're, you're really, you have to wonder, is the domino effect real? Is it true? <clears throat> Does one drug lead to another? And uh, uh, there, uh, here's the article. 6,500 people have been federally convicted of uh, marijuana possession. Federally convicted. Well, um, those guys are, what, what? He's only talking about simple possession. We're, you know, what are we really talking about here? We're talking, talking about bringing in boatloads of it. Of course, the problem here then becomes who pays the taxes? Who's paying taxes? You know, if the IRS is going to come down and swoop down on people's bank accounts, how about them swooping down on the marijuana dealers who don't pay taxes? There's all sorts of tangled wire hidden in this, in this uh, little imperial command by uh, Biden. It's much more complicated, but it makes good press. And obviously, you know, these guys, if you're cynical, but you're politically hip, you will know uh, that uh, uh, they're looking for every single voter they can get because they're concerned about losing the Senate. Now, this is a Republican senator that will resign from the Senate if he becomes the president of the University of Florida. That ain't good. That he's from Nebraska. So maybe there's a maybe that's a Republican stronghold and you'll get a Republican placement. But it does put uh, the Senate in a little bit more jeopardy, does it not? Well have a great weekend and uh, we'll see what the Gator does. It's kind of gonna be a litmus test for the Gator football team to see what they're made of. They're going to play a pretty darn good team, Missouri. And Missouri is up. They should have won a couple of games. They haven't. We'll see how they do on this one. So thanks for calling in Plantation Mark and old Jody. He chicken daddy wouldn't call. That's the way it is. Anyway,
Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.